In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. field people will come and it doesn't happen you have to look at how you're doing business welcome to white Sox business i'm tom fernelli he's james vegan and we're still here today june 11th as james and i sit down to record this is the one year anniversary of when the first episode of white Sox business came out so that's a reason to celebrate and today we're celebrating by having actual white Sox news to discuss the major league baseball draft started wednesday night and Sox fans have a new prospect to hug in Tennessee pitcher Garrett Crochet, the same Garrett Crochet that all the business knew was going to be the pick after listening to Monday's episode when baseball prospectuses Keenan Lamb told us he would be the pick. Well, today we're going to talk to the Athletics' Keith Law about the Crochet pick, how he views him as a prospect, and so on and so forth. But first, James, with all your foresight and knowledge, did the White Sox get this pick right? I, I I don't love it. Um, I mean, I, I was told earlier in the day that they were between uh, Crochet and Abel. And, you know, we have Keith Law come on here and he makes some very good points about the extremely high risk and fail rate of high school pitchers. And, you know, Abel is even kind of more not his profile isn't like more especially risky like the whole thing is he's supposed to command great and have three plus pitches already an ideal frame but usually you don't have much track record for the high school pitcher you now you have a guy who didn't pitch like an entire senior year so even less tracker than a normal high school pitcher so i get his argument um even though he was equally high on them as other people i've heard fresh arm fresh arm that it's just very risky and you know top half of the draft it's uh uh, very, very high fail rate for to, to to take that kind of swing. But you know, as, as he will say, and others have said, like this is not a guy who is like, you know, the the twelfth team was going to take him with the White Sox. It's definitely kind of a reach. It's definitely a risk based off uh, the idea that they can turn him to a starter where other people see a relief profile. Um, he's a, he's in hey, he majors in nuclear engineering, so I can't wait Hell for yeah. our very long spring training interviews about statistical breakdowns and whatnot it seems like he'll be a good dude to cover but it's a situation where if they get it right and they convert this guy into a starter the stuff is huge and they'll be able to dunk on everybody forever there's a really high chance to get this wrong and just because it's a you know it's hard to make a profile of like a huge left-hander who has a you know command and delivery issues that people question um, and just pitching is hard to develop in general. So it might not be entirely fair, but if there's a situation where they took this guy who's a risky bet to make into a starter and Ed Howard goes to the hometown kid, goes the other side of town, and if he's a star <laughs> at all, it's it's going to be like 
Mahomes over Trubisky level of like narrative, like just them getting hammered forever. It's going to be trading Eloy to the White Sox levels of just them, uh, the way the Cubs got hammered for that. Like they're, they're really opening themselves up to get pilloried about this for the next decade. So, um, yeah, I, I have concerns, but um, I, I've talked to uh, his pitching coach at Tennessee this morning, um, Frank uh, Anderson, and obviously Shirley last night, and they both had a, a similar thing to say about this just being some of the best stuff they've seen in their careers uh, for a college pitcher. They're betting on that. I understand it. Um, I, 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 I'm definitely nervous for them. You mentioned the possibility, like a Trubisky-Mahomes-type situation. Fun fact, both Mitch Trubisky and Garrett Crochet had 13 starts in their college career. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a difference there. But, Garrett you know, has more of an excuse it. since his junior year got banged. <laughs> well, Mitch didn't even start till he was a junior. So, you know, what are you going to do? I uh, I mean, I, I didn't really pay – with the White Sox picking 11th, most of my draft preparation and studying of the prospects was for this show. I didn't spend nearly as much time studying guys as I have in other years when the White Sox were picking like in the top five, top, you know, whatever, because the, there were fewer guys to have to study. And I don't have the time to be studying like the 20 some odd guys I would have to, to try to figure this out. But with our prep, I had obviously I was a big Ed Howard fan for, for taking him. But with studying based on what we talked about and with guys that are available, I had kind of fallen for the Reed Detmers thing just because that curveball was nuts. And I was like, okay, that would be fun to watch. Uh, I don't not like the crochet pick. At, I, I'm not super excited about it. I'm not going to pretend I have any real knowledge as to how good he's going to be or can be. I will say that the Chris Sale comparisons right off the bat make me giggle a little bit, but that's, I understand the comparisons. I just think it's, it's, it's funny, but we'll get into more on that when our with our interview in Keith Law. But I will say, I mean, maybe he's not as high on other teams' boards as he was at the White Sox, but if they feel strongly in the pick, then cool, make the pick. But based on your discussions with Mike Shirley on the call afterwards, do you feel that they've felt this strongly about the pick? Yeah, I, and ter- certainly in terms of the stuff, I mean, I definitely had heard that there was – you know, a substantial amount of debate. It's not like he was necessarily like crochet or if, if not for crochet, then half the staff over resign or something like that levels of like mm-hmm. absolute certainty. But yeah, it, it, it seems like they've definitely, it's a, it's a bet on their pitching development. It's a, it's an endorsement of their ability to throw guys into that lab in Arizona and get the most out of them. It's, it's investing in the idea that this, this kind of high-end spin rate that he has generated is something special and something that they want to emphasize. It's continuation of what they're doing with Kopech and Giolito. So, yeah, I, I think they're confident in him. Shirley just is uh, extremely spoke extremely lovingly of him and seemed extremely uh, uh, sold on what he had seen. Uh, like, the raw ingredients are definitely there. You just have to have a high level of confidence. You can make that kind of three-quarter angle from this big lefty work that you can really build out a changeup, um, you know, that is either politely described as developing or politely described as firm, but workable or, you know, as we'll hear later in this episode, described as basically non-existent. And I, I think that's probably a fair assessment in terms of, like, how workable it would be if you threw him in a major league game right now, you would just tell him to throw the fastball and slider and try to survive and not try to make this change up. That's not major league ready in any form yet. So it, it you have to have a high level of confidence in your ability to make this stuff work to be, uh, you know, joyous about this pick. Uh, but it, it seems like that's where the white Sox are at. Um, 
I think, you know, we cite Chris Sale and, and you know, some of the, the developmental wins that we talk about when saying the White Sox are great at developing pitching, they're a little bit older now. There's stories about like Mark Burley and uh, stories about um, guy, John Danks and Javon Floyd, guys who have, you know, that was about over 10 years ago. I don't, I don't necessarily think that they have a recent, you know, skin on the wall of a draft and develop. Obviously, they've done a good job with Giolito and Michael Kopech made a lot of progress in their system, you know, for someone who really hadn't pitched uh, at the higher levels of the minors by the time he arrived. But this this will be a big test. So um, I, I, I don't know. I, I You, you kind of have to prove it to me a little bit, but it seems like they're prepared to do that. Well, I did see one survey. I can't remember who tweeted it, but there was a survey results on Twitter last night that among scouts and team officials that were surveyed of college pitchers, Garrett Crochet was rated number one as having the best fastball in the college class. So that's good. But that leaves gives you a solid floor, right? It's nice to have a great fastball. But we'll, we'll, let's get to our interview with the Athletics' Keith Law. Uh, he, you know, he took some time out to join us during a very, very busy time for him, and we really appreciate it. So let's get to it. Keith, thank you for joining us during a, uh, a busy time with the draft going on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so the White Sox had the 11th pick in the first round on Wednesday night, and they took Garrett Crochet, a lefty out of Tennessee, and immediately after the pick was made, there were a number of comparisons made to Chris Sale. He's, he's tall. He's a lefty. He has an odd arm angle. He throws hard. And there are questions about what his role will be at the major league level, but just sticking to the stuff comparison, how would you compare from what you've seen crochet stuff right now compared to where Chris Sale was at the time he was drafted by the White Sox? Actually kind of different. They both throw hard. Crochet actually throws harder. Crochet has been up to 99. Uh, I don't think Chris Sale ever threw that hard as an amateur. I think he did when he got to the bullpen in pro ball. But Sale as an amateur had a below average slider. Um, I know he had an outing against, I think it was against Lipscomb his junior year for Florida Gulf coast. Very good friend of mine was there and told me afterwards it was a 35 slider with 50 being average. So well, well below average because sale kind of really got on the side of the ball back then. His delivery mm-hmm. was closer to true sidearm. So his out pitch in college was really a changeup. Crochet has no changeup to speak of. It's fastball slider. It is a really good slider. He destroys left-handed batters, but he's had a ton of trouble with right-handers because he doesn't have, that third pitch. The other big difference though, is that, that this is a little bit less about stuff, but Chris Sale pitched all the time. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact he had mechanics that a lot of folks, myself included, a lot of teams just thought would lead to a breakdown, thinking you just can't hold up as a starter like that. Crochet's actually missed some time, and he didn't pitch the first three weekends of this year. Nobody's 100% sure why. Supposedly there was a back injury, but that's not really confirmed. So we don't exactly know what's going on. I'm sure it's not something incredibly serious. The White Sox just wouldn't have taken him. But it would be nice to know what was going on, why he didn't pitch. Was it actually injury-related? Was it something else? I don't know. He only threw three innings the whole spring in a single unscheduled relief appearance. So he was barely scouted for three weekends. He didn't pitch at all. And I don't think there was any period in Sale's amateur career where he missed essentially three straight starts. For all of the concerns about his mechanics and his durability and his narrow frame, Chris Sale took the ball every Friday. In terms of, I guess, because of the lack of playing time and the you know the 
the some of the mystery behind the health is there a similar level of uncertainty about his future in the rotation or, or how to project him or is it uh with the stuff that he showed in, in inner squads that the the white Sox raved about is there a full picture of what he he could be or what his ceiling could be at the next level yeah i don't think there is a full picture they may disagree obviously and it's possible they saw something, they may have seen, gotten video on him, maybe they saw him in a previous year where they felt like they'd gotten more of a complete picture. But to me, the fact that he barely pitched this year, he had such trouble with right-handed batters last year, and that then on top of that, you look at concerns about the delivery, the way his arm works, can he even get to can he turn over a proper changeup, or they got to find some other kind of weapon for him to get right-handers out. I mean, it's true. If you go back to everything I said about Sale at the time, I said, I think this guy's a reliever, and so do a lot of scouts and a lot of other teams. That's why Sale went 13th in the draft instead of going somewhere in the top five. I think all of that is absolutely true of Crochet as well. Crochet's arm action is probably not as immediately concerning as Sale's was, but the flip side is Sale never missed any time, and Crochet did. Uh, last night, talking to reporters, uh, scouting director Mike Shirley called uh, Crochet uh, his ceiling a number three starter. Obviously, that's a higher praise coming from a scout than I think the public when they think of a number three starter. But was this good value here? Was this a reach? And were you surprised that they, Mick Abel was kind of left on the board while Crochet is going off? Uh, no, I had Abel. I, mean, I, I don't know how much you guys have seen the things I've written, but about high school pitching, but you just really shouldn't take high school pitching top half of the first round. And, and I would have been pretty critical of, even though I liked Nick Abel a ton, and I think he was far and away the best high school pitcher in the class. If you're drafting in the top half of the first round, it should be pretty exceptional for you to keep and consider taking a high school pitcher there. Their failure rate is so high yeah. that it is not justified to take a high school pitcher up there. Uh, you know, if I were to say, well, you could have taken player X instead of crochet. There were some pretty good college and high school bats still available on the board. I don't think they were considering any of those guys except for Garrett Mitchell. I think of the two guys they were most considering that I'm aware of at least, I would have taken Garrett Mitchell, the center fielder from UCLA. He's an 80 runner. He's at least a 60 defender in center. He can really throw. There are concerns. I have some concerns about the swing. Some teams have concerns that he has type one diabetes. We haven't really seen position players with that. So we are, you know, we're concerned about what his durability might be. But to me, that's just sort of a, you know, that's an unknown, like we have unknowns with Crochet. And I would have taken Mitchell over Crochet in that spot. I think Crochet has, may have a higher ceiling than Mike Shirley said, but a really low probability of getting to it. But those are two top of the rotation types of pitches. Now, he's got a lot of other things to do to be, say, a number two starter in the big leagues. But it begins with that. If you have a huge fastball and an absolute wipeout secondary pitch, you're on your way at least. There are probably three or four other major things that Crochet would have to do to get to be that kind of starter, but I think it's it's within the range of possibilities given what he's starting with. Going off that though, in, in your estimation, I mean I know it's you can't you can't project a dude completely at this point. It's it's impossible. If they could, you know, <laughs> teams would be a lot better right. at drafting. But do you, in your estimation, like, yes, he's got a ceiling of being a starter down the line and maybe, you know, mid to top of rotation kind of guy. But what are the, if, if you were to give a number on it, what are your probabilities that he's a guy that could be a starting 
pitcher down the line or compared to hit the chance that he's going to be a useful reliever, maybe at the back end of a bullpen. Because I saw Mike Shirley, I think, also mentioned that maybe the floor for him is like, you know, a, a back end reliever, which, of course, now the way the game is changing still has a lot of value now. And in fact, it probably has more than it has, you know, in in previous decades. So where do you think as far as a probability projection, where do you think he's most likely to be and where would you put the probabilities at? I'd say it's probably 70-30. He's a reliever rather than a starter. And look, even to be an effective reliever, he still has to have a way to get right-handers out. Now, maybe once rather than three times if you're a starter. You know, not everybody goes three times through the order, but I think you should at least plan that way. If Crochet develops that third pitch, he's a starter. Now, I don't know what kind of starter because then there are questions about command and feel and how much he can repeat that delivery to even get to average command, which he doesn't have so far. And then the additional questions about durability. But if he has the third pitch, and, if, and the White Sox have had success teaching guys new pitches too, so I'm not ruling that out. If they get there, then you develop him as a starter. I think it's more likely he ends up in the bullpen uh, because we have so many different concerns. It's not even necessarily that it's one single thing, but look at all the things that I've mentioned so far. That's a lot of different boxes he has to check to become a, a definite starter, or a, let's say a higher probability starter. Uh, whereas in the bullpen, Heck, the, you know, given how good his slider is, could they give him a bit of a hybrid cutter that he just has to use occasionally to get right-hand batters out? That's probably enough to get through one time, to go get three to six outs in a bullpen where you're never facing a hitter twice in a single game. Absolutely think he could do that. He could probably do it faster. If the White Sox say, say that we have a season this year and the White Sox come out and they're competing, which is absolutely within the realm of possibility. They could say, you know what, we're going to bring Crochet in as the last reliever for us. Not necessarily a back-end guy right now, but he's got two pitches that would probably play in the big leagues immediately. And if he's coming in in low-leverage situations to get three or four batters out, sure. I, I could see them doing that. It's kind of like with the Marlins taking Max Meyer where they did, where there's some thought that if they need him this year, Max Meyer could pitch in a major league bullpen. He's also got a huge fastball and a wipeout slider from the right side. Could you do that and come to the majors and be effective as a, like I said, a low leverage reliever? Absolutely. And obviously they did that with Chris Sale for a year and a half before converting him full time back to the rotation. They could easily do that with crochet. And I don't think they lose anything. You mentioned the possibility of him coming up at some time this season. If there is a season, what do you give greater odds? There being a 2020 season or Garrett crochet pitching. If there is one, (laughs) I actually feel really confident. There's going to be a 2020 season. I just think the owner's, in particular, have way too much to lose by not playing. I think this brinkmanship is, uh, there's a lot of posturing and a lot of outright lying. Yes. When (laughs) Bill DeWitt comes out and tells us it's not that profitable to own a baseball team, pay no attention to the $8 million home I just bought in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's why Um, why people are always buying teams, because there's no money to make it. I said this on Twitter, they all think we're stupid. Uh, that is kind of a common thread, I think, of a lot of billionaires. They think the rest of us are stupid and that they can tell us all this stuff and we're just going to swallow it wholesale. And I hope I'm, you know, I don't think I'm the only one out there saying this. They're lying. <laughs> Owning a baseball team is profitable. And playing games and getting broadcast and streaming revenue is more profitable than not playing games. So the owners are full of it. Would they actually be foolish enough to cancel a season? Yeah, because they've done stupid stuff like that before, but I don't think so. I think ultimately owners will, they're, they're just trying to get the best possible terms they can from the players union. And eventually 
they will cave enough just to put on a season this year. And they should. The players are the ones assuming all of the risk in the scenario. Owners never have to leave their houses. They can self-isolate till November. Players are the ones who actually have to expose themselves to some kind of risk uh, from COVID-19 that owners will never, ever have to face. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant's backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You could save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com slash athletic for 25% off your first order. I know, obviously, list making is a very involved process, but offhand, would, where would you have a general idea of where you'd put Crochet among White Sox prospects right now? Would he be someone you'd even consider as a top 100 overall guy? He would not. He was 39th on my draft board. Generally, in past years, I've had 15 to 20 guys from, from the draft uh, in June, show up in my top 100 the following January or February. Now, that may be different this year because who knows how many prospects I'll actually have graduate from the list. And also, we probably won't have as many guys necessarily just drop off from non-performance because they don't get to play. So my guess is I'll probably have somewhere, let's say, maybe 12 to 15 on the lower end. Draft guys show up on a top 100. Crochet wouldn't be one of them. Oh. Now I don't like the pick. If we don't get a top 100 guy out of it, it's a failure. I'm done. Fire Rick Hahn, fire Mike Shirley, <laughs> fire everybody. Uh, okay, but uh, speaking of Mike Shirley, with you know the last four rounds will be taking place today. I mean, it's the first. It's it's weird now where like MLB draft has gone from you know 40 to five, and then it's like I'm used to it being like a whole week weekend type of thing, and now it's going to be over in two days, and they're kind of just throwing it all out there tonight with the last four rounds after taking four hours to do one round. But Mike right. Shirley. Mike Shirley has emphasized the uh, the pitching depth of this draft class. Uh, what do you think? That's the direction that we're going to see the White Sox going in the final four rounds, or do you, do you think maybe we might see a little surprise from them? What are your readings of the situation here? I, I, I honestly don't know. I would just be guessing at this point. I don't really do like I rank the players obviously, but in terms of trying to project what teams are taking, what kinds of players, unless something just obvious comes to me, I generally don't try to make predictions past the first round because I'd be completely talking out of my ass on that one. I try not to do that when I can avoid the situation. I'll say I, I agree with, I agree with Mike. This is a good pitching draft. This is a good college and high school pitching draft. And if they went out and popped one or two, you know, high, one or two really interesting high school pitchers Remember last year, they took the one high ceiling kid, Matt Thompson. And then they took uh, Dahlquist to get more of a you know, sort of higher probability, lower ceiling high school arm. I love that. I thought pairing those two together especially made a ton of sense. They want to do that tonight, I'm all in. And I think this draft has that. I think it absolutely offers that. If you can sign those kids, they are out there in this draft class. Cool. Well, one one final two-parter here for you. 
uh, based mm-hmm. on what we have seen so far last night. What was the biggest surprise of the first round in your eyes? And also, what would you say the biggest steal or the best value pick that a team got in the first round was on Wednesday? Well, I, I, I mean, when the Red Sox took Nick York, I think the whole industry went, yeah. what the hell? And I mean, my phone blew up and I was texting guys. What? 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 Because, of course, my first concern in that situation, I can't speak for anybody else. I haven't even spoke to, like, Eric Longenegg and Jonathan Mayo. We talk all the time. I, I haven't even talked to them yet today. But my first reaction was, wait, was I wrong on this? Did I miss this guy? He wasn't on my top 100. And I looked, and MLB didn't have him on their top 100. He was, like, 135th on their board. Okay, it's not just me in this case. And I went back and looked at video again and talked to other teams who said they didn't even have him in the second round on their own board. It's a high school second base the track record of those guys. I can't even say it's bad. It's non-existent. People don't draft high school second base. If you can't play shortstop for your team in high school, they're probably not that great of a prospect. So that was the one that absolutely floored me. I haven't spoken to anyone in Boston. I will at some point. I'd love to know what this was about. Dan O'Dowd went on TV and speculated that they were punting a pick. Mm-hmm. I have to admit that crossed my mind. Same here. Yeah. Um, well, cause, and, and the kid was, uh, the kid was, uh, committed to university of Arizona. It's not like he's uh, going to be a cheap sign necessarily. Now they're going to, I mean, they have, their slot there was like three and a half million dollars. Of course they could sign him. And I think they will sign him. But the fact that that even crossed my mind, I think speaks to how far off they were from the rest of the industry on that particular pick. Um, in terms of biggest steal, I, I thought Austin Martin was the best player in the draft class. He went fifth. I don't know that I could say anything, but there, there were some inter- really interesting picks later in the first round, even into the comp round. Justin Lang at 34, he is a high school pitcher, but it's Padre's second pick. It's pretty good value there, but I, I can't get over. I'm not the only person who thought Austin Martin was the best player in the class. I knew several scouts who agreed, and I think the data kind of support it. When you look at the fact that he played in a better conference than Spencer Torkelson, Spencer Torkelson was second. It's not like I think he's a bad prospect. But Martin faced better competition, plays a skill position, strikes out way less, still makes a ton of hard contact, still gets on base. I'm taking that guy over Torkelson every day. And the fact that he got to the fifth pick, I have a feeling it's because he was insisting on full slot wherever he was taken. Good for him. But that's the Blue Jays' benefit. And they got to be over the moon. They just got their new number one prospect and – I really think pretty clearly got the best player in the draft class. The nerve of a kid to want the amount of money he's owed, I tell you. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, th- uh, Keith, thank you for taking some time out today to talk to us about crochet and the draft. We really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we have you back on again sometime in the future. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Keith. All right. We'd like to thank Keith for being now another one of our returning guests. It's like him, Dan Hayes, uh, Sahadev, although I don't know if Sahadev's first appearance should really count, considering we just hung up on him right away. How many? Do we have any other returning guests? Um, Cam, I always kind of nah, thought of him as like unwelcome. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's more of an intruder than a guest, but yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's my dog. Maybe you can hear her in the background. I guess she could count, count as a guest, but uh, she okay? Jack, she's Jack just barking at an something. ad read, right? <laughs> yeah there's one all right cool so yeah again thanks to, to keith law for joining us and for all the information on garrett crochet uh 
James, you wanted to mention there was something, you know, he, we recorded the interview before we got the news when we were talking about Crochet's injury history. Right. I mean, uh, Keith talked about how it was a mystery at the time about the missing the three starts. Uh, Crochet did say that, um, at least come, coming from the horse's mouth, that it was a mild shoulder strain that kept him out. Um, I don't think you ever want to hear your pitcher talk about his shoulder ever in life. No. Nope. Um, <laughs> so uh, take that for what it's worth. Um, but it, it, it doesn't sound like it was a major thing that even teams that were down on him didn't cite as like a major concern of like, we think his shoulder is messed up. It's more like, well, it stands to reason that there's stress on his shoulder and his delivery going forward. And that's part of our uncertainty about how much he'll hold up in a rotation down the road. But it's not like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lemon and he's going to fall apart the first time he throws a pitch. It's nothing like that. He's healthy right now. He's been throwing bullpens, but that was what he cited for, for missing that time. All right, well, uh, let's get to shout-outs. I'm going to shout-out Ryan McGee at ESPN.com, who wrote a column about NASCAR getting rid of the Confederate flag, or at least banning it from you know any of the races. It was a very interesting and poignant column from somebody who is literally the descendant of slave-owning members of the Confederacy, and I thought it was a very good read. And if you have time, go to ESPN.com and read it. You sh- shouldn't have a difficult time finding it. James, who's your shout-out to? My shout-out is to Tom. I appreciate you, Tom. Great to have you, Tom. Love Tom. Yeah, uh, you're okay. <laughs> I, I appreciate you appreciating me, and uh, yeah. Uh, so let's let's wrap this up. We'd like to thank Keith Law once more for taking some time during a busy couple days to talk to us about Garrett Crochet. We'd also like to thank you for listening. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, do us another favor. Give us a five-star review if you enjoy the show, as it helps people find us on Apple's podcast app. Another way to help people find us? Well, if you enjoy the show and you know of another White Sox fan who might enjoy it too, tell them. Also, if you do listen to this show outside The Athletic and aren't a subscriber, you can listen to the show ad-free via The Athletic and its app, which is a nice bonus, but the real gift is getting to read The Athletic because there's a ton of great stuff there. And James, too. So, for James Vegan, I'm Tom Fernelli. Thank you for listening to White Sox Business. We'll be back Monday. Enjoy your weekend.